Amen. Uh, again, I'm Pastor Ryan. Uh, Pastor Hyden would, would love to be here, but he is in Maryland preaching to uh, 600 plus students. And so keep him in your prayers. We, we um, walk is just expanding across the, the nation even this morning. And so we're excited about that. One thing, um, if you want to go ahead and turn, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. But I, I just wanted to, to give a, a quick reminder this morning um, or challenge. If you've been around for a while, it may have been easy for you to become really accustomed to excellent, excellent preaching. Like, like Pastor Hyden is just absolutely incredible. And, and like he does it so effortlessly. Like you might think that he just reads the verse like that morning and then like comes and gets up here and just preaches that dynamic word. But one of the cool things is that I've had the experience over the last few months uh, to be in something we call a teaching team meeting. We have this every single week, and what this is, is just a time for us to begin the study for the sermon. It's several of us guys getting together, and what I've got to witness firsthand is this brother laboring over the text because he loves you, because he cares so deeply for you, and I don't want you to ever take that for granted. Um, he cares about you so much, and, and, and one of the ways that I get to see that uh, firsthand is just how he prepares for you and for Sundays. And, and I'm just so grateful for that brother. He's an incredible man of God. And, and this church uh, just always should be so grateful to have him as your pastor. Uh, just want to have that as a reminder. But in, in saying all that, about a month ago, I had a thought I haven't had before, and I don't think I'll ever have it again. But we were in that teaching team meeting, and for a minute, I thought Pastor Hyden was crazy. <laughs> and the reason was, we're in this meeting, and we're going through, and then out of nowhere, Pastor Hyden, he looks up, and he looks at me, and he says, Ryan, on March 8th, we're continuing our series in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 6-4 on parenting. I'm like, cool. He said, and you're preaching it. And I said, um, not as cool. And for those of you that don't know me, the reason that I um, thought he was a little bit crazy there, and it made me a little bit nervous, um, I've only been a parent for nine months to an eight and a seven-year-old, and then in there, we, we, uh, my wife gave birth, and now we have a six-month-old, and there's more days that I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing than days otherwise. And so that, that was the first reason I was feeling this, nervousness. The second reason was that I don't know if there's a more polarizing subject than parenting. We probably have about 200 people in the room today. We probably have at least 250 opinions on parenting. <laughs> like, if you don't believe me, I'll, I'll let you borrow my baby and just walk through Walmart. <laughs> like, everybody wants to give you their opinion, and they're all different. <laughs> like, this, this subject is tough. Like, I, there's a lot of things I could say that would make half of you mad when it comes to this subject. So I, I, I'm having these feelings, these thoughts, and I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? But because I love preaching, I told Hayden, yeah, I'll do it. And then went to the study terrified. <laughs> but here's what I was doing. When I, when I was just digging in um, to the passage that we're going to be looking at today, reading it over and over again, which is really easy to do because there's only one verse, I felt like the Lord just shook me. Now, if you've never had a feeling where you just felt like he just shook you, you just need to spend more time in the Word. But I felt like I had this moment where 
Uh, I'm, I'm just throwing this little pity party of just nervousness. Like, man, I don't have the experience. I don't have the, the, um, necessarily the wisdom in this subject. And I feel like the Lord shook me and said, Ryan, I'm not asking you to preach your experiences. I'm not asking you to preach your wisdom. I'm not asking you to preach any of that. I'm asking you to preach my word. I feel like he said, amen. I feel like he, he just really shook me and said, hey, the guy that I inspired to write this was a single dude that never had any children. And I profoundly used him and the word I gave to him to transform families for generations. If you stick to the word, you're going to be all right. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I, I don't have anything else but the word. Uh, and that's where we're going to stay faithful. That's where we're going to camp out. And so a lot of people would maybe give credentials on this subject. I don't have any. I just have the word. Second, second disclaimer um, I wanted to, to give this morning. Some of you may be thinking, like, man, I showed up on the Sunday. We're talking about parenting? Because if, if you haven't got it already, we're, we're in a, a series called Spirit-Filled Family, but this week is Spirit-Filled Parenting. And, and I get that there's people in the room that, that aren't parents. There, there's some of you in the room that say, man, I don't ever want kids. There's other of you in the room that say, uh, I've got kids, but I don't even like them. <laughs> and so, so you might be thinking, like, like, like what, what am I doing this morning? That resonated with some of you too much. <laughs> and, and it could be easy, and it just so happens it's funny, we have two college mission teams here this week, and we're doing a sermon on parenting. But, and you could be thinking, what, what, what am I doing here? Why, why am I here? And, and here's the encouragement I want to give you. I'm Dottie Lewis, he puts this twist on an old adage that says it takes a village to raise a child, but he takes it a step further and says it takes a church to raise a disciple. And when it comes to parenting, we're trying to do both of those. And so what that means is that we need every person in the room. We're trying to raise, over, over next door in 412, that's not second-tier ministry. We're trying to raise little disciples for Jesus. And we need every single person to get involved. Every single person is just vital and crucial when it comes to this. Uh, I got my brothers Prey and Pharaohs up here. They've been instrumental in the development of my children. They, they probably don't even know that, but, but, but the conversations I've been able to have with my, my children that they ignited is unreal. And so we need all of you. That's why you're here this morning. And so that's, that's a little bit before we get into the text. I, I just wanted to, to put out there um, to maybe put some of you at ease, uh, maybe to even challenge you a little bit. And now we're going to spend the rest of our time in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read starting in verse 1 all the way through 4, but we're going to hang out in verse 4. So let's pick it up. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Amen. Absolutely. I was going to pause there so we can get some amens. <laughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Amen. Let's go. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this is a tough subject. Lord, we need you this morning. We need you to guide completely and entirely. 
bring this passage to life for us. I pray that you would convict, challenge parents in the room, soon-to-be parents in the room, singles in the room. Lord, I pray that that we would just uh, approach your word in a way that would honor you. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so we, I know it's only one verse, but we have a lot of ground to cover because we're going to walk through this just literally word by word. So in verse 4, it starts out with fathers. It starts out with the word fathers. And there's a a few things that that I need us um, to really look at here. Because if you're a mom in the room, you might be thinking, okay, I'm off the hook. I'm good. Here's why you're not. (laughs) Uh, Because this this word for fathers in in the Greek is actually used again in Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, it's translated as parents. And so even, it could even take a step further, um, someone that is parenting. And so here, here's what that means. This passage applies to, to anyone that is parenting. So if you are an older brother that's parenting younger brothers, if you're a, a single mom, if you're a grandparent, this applies to you. But the reason it says fathers is because we just came out of a few different verses. Um, in chapter 5, remember, Paul didn't write this in chapters. Uh, I don't know about you, when you write a letter, you don't say, okay, chapter 5. Paul and Paul didn't do that. It was a continual letter. And so this verse is connected directly with what happened just a few verses earlier, where Paul is instructing and, and declaring that, that the man is the head of the household. Not to be in a domineering relationship, but uh, more what that means is that he has the head responsibility when it comes to parenting. So here, here's a, a few things that, that we got to get there um, and, and help put that in perspective. That doesn't mean that they're just this, the biggest authoritative person, that they just declare all rules and they're done. A better way to put this is that if for, by some reason, if you and your wife made it to heaven at the same time, when it came to God talking about how you did in parenting, he's looking at dad first. And said, hey, it was your primary responsibility. Now, does it relieve the, the mothers in the room of, of their responsibility? Right? Mothers are so involved, incredible. Dads couldn't do it without moms, right? Amen. <laughs> but I, I want us to, to get the, the, the primary responsibility, the way God designed it, it was given to fathers. And so a couple of things that that we need to get from that, Um, we need to stop having passive fathers. It's one of the things that's killing the church. One of the statistics that that, um, is just so incredible to me that that speaks to how um, God designed it is that um, if, if a child comes to faith, if they're the first one in the family that comes to faith, the entire family only has about a 3% chance of coming to faith. If mom comes to faith, the entire family has about a 15% chance of coming to faith. But if dad comes to faith first, there's a 93% chance that everyone in the family comes to faith. You know what? It's because he designed it that way. Now, one thing I want to make clear here, if you're a single mom in the room, if you're a grandparent in the room, if you're just trying to figure this whole thing out, God's grace is sufficient for you. 
God's grace is sufficient for you. And, and all the more reason why, why we talked about the, the whole church is important in this process. But, but I want you to hear that, that, that uh, if circumstances have left your situation differently than this, God's grace is sufficient for you, and he loves you, and he's going to care deeply uh, for you in uh, the whole role that he's given to you. And I'm speaking to, to the men. Again, fathers, soon-to-be fathers, one-day fathers. God's given you the primary responsibility. So step up. Step up. That, that's how um, Paul begins, just kicks off this section. And then what he transitions to is something different than, than we've experienced in this whole spirit-filled family section. The, the whole time we've been, um, like all of this year, so since the beginning of January, when we've been looking at the spirit-filled family, we've been looking at marriage and husbands and wives, Paul has only given instruction of things to do, positive things to do. But for the first time, we have Paul giving an instruction to not do. And that says, do not provoke your children to anger. And the reason I point that out is because you only tell somebody to stop doing something if they've been doing it. Like, you only put a rule in place if it's been broken before. And look, since I've become a parent, um, I've, I've had to create some rules that I never thought I was going to have to create. Like, I never thought it was going to have to be a rule that you have to use the bathroom with the door shut. Like, I just thought that, like, everybody came just pre-programmed that way. Because um, I did. But... We had to make a rule. <laughs> and, and so that's why this is important, because knowing the context of the day, the, the context of the people that Paul is, is writing to, fathers of this day in Ephesus were so domineering in their leadership, so authoritative, that they often saw their children as, as even to the point of property, that they could do whatever they want to um, to them or make them do whatever they want. And Paul is just really clear here. Hey, that's not the case. But what's important for us to also understand, we don't just read this verse by itself. This verse is connected directly to Ephesians 4.31. And Ephesians 4.31, which we studied a few weeks ago, months ago, um, says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Look, the people that provoke other people to anger, now this is for everybody in every situation, people that, that, that regularly provoke other people to anger are people that haven't done this. Because this is what anger does. It, it, it wells up in you to the point that it overflows into others. And the reason it's so critical in the household um, is because it often, since you spend the majority of your time with your children, your family, it really dumps out on them. So Paul's making this connection. He's like, hey, look, if you haven't already got it in, in 31, I'm going to kind of let you hear it again in a new way. Do not provoke your children to anger, hey, but stop being angry yourself. Stop allowing your heart to be filled with anger. Here's how John Piper puts it, um, in just an incredible way to help us understand. He says, anger is the cannibal emotion. It eats all the others till none is left. It does this first in fathers. 
And then this constricted soul is passed on to the children. Anger is absorbed as the dominant emotion, and all the tender feelings die. Paul says, don't let that happen. That's what he's exalting us to do or not do in this text. Man, that that can have a serious um, effect on a child. And so I wanted to to give us just a couple of practical ways to just think through this subject. First is um, provoke is probably a word you don't use a ton. Um, So I had to look up the definition to make sure I was just using it correctly. And provoke means to deliberately make someone annoyed or angry. Some of you saw that and you're like, that's my child's life motto towards me. (laughs) Now we had the children's sermon last week. This is for you though. Right, when you're hearing preaching, you're never uh, supposed to hear it for someone else. Hear for you. And this applies more than just children. Um, Do not provoke people in your life to deliberately make someone annoyed or angry. Now, as a parent, you could do everything right and make your children angry. This does not mean that if your children ever get angry, you failed. Amen. Like, because we would be uh, in a bad place if that was the case. But if you're a parent, you, you know of situations, you know of times last week that you provoked your children. And we can be honest, mine was yesterday where you deliberately made someone annoyed or angry. And Paul's saying, hey, do everything you can to not do that with your kids. So what's some of the ways? I want to give us some practical tools. These aren't from me, from a guy named Ligon Duncan. He's a lot smarter than me. And he had 10 principles, but 10's too many for me, so I had to boil them down to four. Four ways just to help us in this area to not provoke our children. The first one, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. Look, a, a child can smell out a fake or a hypocrite from a mile away. I, I actually had this conversation this past week. You're going to just hear, like, all my faults this morning, okay? So just pray for me. Our, our little girl, she says, um, y'all always talk about how important reading is, and y'all make us read every day. Why don't y'all read that much? That's <laughs> a... Go to your room. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but man, that'll hit you hard. That'll hit you hard. Because I, I can just imagine the amount of contempt that's been building up in her heart every time I tell her to go read. And she said, um, this is another day that he's made me read that he didn't. That, that's a way that, that we probably didn't even think of to passively uh, provoke your children. And we have to be better than this. We have to, to live out what we're calling our children to. We have to practice what we preach. The second one, um, and even the verse there in James 1.22, be not hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Do it. We got to live it out. But we continue. Our second point around this subject is have a good time. Look, it's okay to have fun. Like, it's okay to let kids be kids. 
to be silly, to have a dance party, like, like have fun. I've seen like parents, and we're going to get into discipline here in a second, like maybe do that area so strict that, that, that kids feel like they're in such a box that they can't ever do anything or express themselves. Look, and you're like, where's that in the Bible? Let me show you. We have a verse in Ecclesiastes, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. God gave us creation, one for his glory and two for us to enjoy. God's given us good gifts for us to take pleasure in. So maybe say no a little less on things that don't matter as much. Right, I was thinking uh, about this the other day. Um, this was pretty early. My kids asked for ketchup on their eggs. and t- That really grosses me out. I don't know why. And so I'm like, no, you can't have ketchup on your eggs. That's gross. But then I was like, why are you saying no to that? If they like ketchup on their eggs, let them have it. All right, I digress. That was free. Um, so just have a good time. Third point. Third point, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Man, if we could get this one right, some of the other things are really going to fall into place. Look, if you're a parent that's never blown it, um, you're a liar. If you're a parent that that you would say you didn't blow it last week, I I would probably call you a liar. Like, we're going to mess this thing up. Like, you could read every parenting book in the world. You can read the, the, the Bible from cover to cover a hundred times, and, and then you get to a situation, you think you have it all figured out, and you're like, man, what just happened? I had no idea what ever happened. And we react in different things. But we have to be willing to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness. This was one of the most profound things that shaped me into the man I am today. My mom and dad were quick to say, hey, hey, Ryan, I blew it. I'm sorry. They would, they would lay it out and, say, and even ask, will you forgive me? Some, some might think that, that this diminishes your authority. And it, I think that's ridiculous. But if it does, it makes much of Jesus. Because you're willing to say, um, I, I care about you so much, and I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to make you feel the way that you feel. And I'm sorry. I want to take this even a step uh, further. Uh, Lee Strobel, he says it this way. He says that few things accelerate the peace process as much as humbly admitting our own wrongdoing and asking for forgiveness. Man, that, that, that and me, if you want to accelerate the peace process, Right, we can live this out. Two reality statements I want to give here because I really think this is so important. That there's a, a good way to have an apology. A good apology doesn't end with but. So, so this, this is not a good apology. If you, your children done something, you, you yelled at your child, you disciplined them um, over and above what you should have out of anger, and you said, hey, I'm sorry for yelling at you, but if you never would have hit your sister, I wouldn't have had to yell. That's not an apology. That's a creative way to make them feel bad about what they did. 
That's, that's putting the, the guilt of your problem on them as well. What this can look like is, hey, there's no reason I should ever yell at you. I care about you more than that, and I, and I didn't show it in that moment. And I'm sorry. I'm going to really try hard to not do that again. Will you forgive me? This applies more than just parenting, but a good apology doesn't end with but. And a great apology is changed behavior. The way an apology can lose its effect is if you um, do it every single day um, and just allow that to use a crutch to um, just continue in your sin. A great apology is changed behavior. Whenever you say, because uh, we, we do this with our children, when, when we make um, them apologize to people they've hurt, we, we let them know, hey, an apology saying I'm sorry is also saying, hey, I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to do my best to not do it again. And so we, we try to be diligent, and we fail miserably, but we try to be diligent in saying, hey, I'm going to do everything I can to not do it again. So that's the, the third way, to just help to not provoke your children. Fourth and final, make it easy and desirable to talk to you. Make it easy and desirable to talk to you. I've had so many conversations with parents that their children, once they get 21, 25 years old, that they then have a conversation with their parents and saying, man, I had these emotions, I had these things going on in my life, uh, I was struggling with this and all these things, and the parent had no idea. You can't help and nurture and not push on a button or not provoke if you don't know the heart of your child. And look, this one, I, I still don't even know the best way to do this. But we got to try. we got to try to do everything we can to create ways to um, have conversations with our children, to know their hearts, know what they care about, know what they're nervous about, what they fear. I read an article this week, and a mom, one of the things that she did um, in this area is that she put a journal in a secret place of the house, and her and her daughter, anytime she might have had a question that she was nervous about asking her, she could write in the journal, and the mom would respond in the journal. And it was a little bit less confrontational way to, to discuss things. Maybe you try that. Maybe you try something else, but, but whatever you do, let, let's try something to live this out. And so that's just a few practical ways to how to help not provoke. Now, if you need more than four because you're killing it in all these areas, go check out Ligon Duncan's sermon on Ephesians 6.4, and he'll give you the whole list of ten, um, and it'll be good. So we need to continue in this verse, and we're running out of time. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Bring them up. The reason I wanted us to camp out here for a second is because this verse, uh, or this phrase, is the exact same word that's used when it talks about nourishing just a couple of verses earlier. When fathers are to nourish, or, or husbands are to nourish and, and care for their wives. This word is used again here, and it's translated here as bring them up. The reason that's important. It could be easy to live out the next two steps if you did it um, as a hard parent that says, hey, there's no leeway. We're not having a discussion about any of these things. Here's the rules. Don't get close to them. But that's what Paul's trying to combat. He's saying that there's been enough the domineering leadership 
There's also been enough of the passive fathers. We got to get back to the middle and really live this thing out. And the way that we do that is gently and in a caring way. Now, now there are points where it's just hard nose, and you're going to get to that. Your children are going to push you to that. But how much different would it be having a conversation? You hear this with people in their 20s all the time. It's like, my parents forced me to do this and that, and it led me to rebel. But one of the, the encouraging things, when, when you see um, children just growing and saying, my parents guided me in this or that. They, they just um, put so many things around me to help me make the right choices. I, I, one of the things is, is you can't save your children. But what you can do is you can put all the kindling around your child's heart and wait for God to ignite it. In a loving, nourishing, and caring way. And we need to go further. We continue. So bring them up in the discipline. Bring them up in the discipline. Now, this is really important for us to get right. And we can't talk, um, we don't have enough time to talk extensively on this. But our, our goal in parenting, this is back to the passivity side. We've been on both ends of the pendulum. Our goal in parenting is not to be our, our kid's friend. That's not the primary goal of parenting. Our goal is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so your child does not know what's best for them. But you've been entrusted with what God knows is best for them. You've been entrusted with that. So, so we have to give uh, guidelines and, and in discipline to rear them in a way that would honor and bring glory to the Lord. Here's a verse that I think really displays this well in Hebrews 11 or Hebrews 12, where it says, for they disciplined us. Now, this isn't just talking about in the context of parenting, but the subject of discipline. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I can't say it any better than that. Like, like, as parents, our, our goal is that we would yield peaceful fruit in the lives of our children for generations to come. And we do that by, by living out discipline well. By saying, hey, I, kids, I know what's best for you. And I'm going to give you kind of the rules, regulations. I am going to make you read, but I'm also going to read too. I'm going to do all these other things um, to, to make sure you have God's best for you. And even explaining, explaining is awesome. Explaining and say, hey, there's going to be some things that we're going to have to say no to right now so that we can say yes to years from now. Yes, it may be painful right now, but it yields peaceful fruit. And that's what we want for our children. Take it a step further in instruction of the Lord. 
I, here's the area that I'm convicted by that I just see the church really missing it. Look, if you're a parent, as awesome as our 412 ministry is, as awesome as our, our youth ministry is, you're the primary disciple maker of your children. Amen. That responsibility has been given to you. And I feel like, and I'm not just saying that here, just in the case of the church overall, um, we have effective programs and ministries to children that the parents undo the entire week. If we really want to see this, this lived out, it has to start coming from the parents living out this instruction. I mean, Deuteronomy 6, it makes it very clear on, on how to do this. And, and again, I, I can't even say it better than Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You want to know how to, how to instruct your children in the Lord? First, it starts with you and your relationship with him. I know there's some people like, I don't even know how to talk to my kids about God. Um, one of the cool things that you can do is you just dig into the word for yourself. And do what your kids do. A lot of times what your kids do when they, they get home from school, or, or maybe you ask them this question, can I tell you what I learned today? And they're, they're excited that they learned about fractions. What if you were just excited to tell them what you learned about Jesus? And say, hey, you know what I learned today? I learned that God hears me when I pray to him. I learned that that God loves me so much. He wants us uh, to talk about him all the time. When we lie down, when we sit. Look, you don't have to know this whole book. You don't have to know everything to begin instructing your children. You just have to know a little bit more than them. <laughs> just a little bit more than them. And so you just teach them that, and then you learn something new. And then you teach them that and just keep going, and you, you'll see your children grow as you grow in the Lord. But this is so important. And look, this is a, a way, I, again, I've seen myself just miss it here recently. Recently, we took a trip to Utah. And for whatever reason, I got in my mind that I was going to teach them how many feet were in a mile. And so I asked them at the beginning of the trip, I said, how many feet are in a mile? Six million. You know, it's a good guess. Um, but they corrected 5,280. Hour later, asked them the same question. They give another answer they didn't remember, and, and, and did that over and over again the whole trip until finally at the end I could ask them, how many feet are in a mile? 5,280. Right? Then they would, they would race to the answer. And I was like, at the end, I was like, oh, man, I taught them something. That was pretty cool. But I taught them so useless that does not matter for eternity. <laughs> what if I'd have spent that whole trip saying, what is the chief end of man? And they're like, what does that mean? I don't even know. The chief end of man, that means, why, why does mankind exist? And they give them the answer to, to glorify God and delight in him forever. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. What about I spent the whole trip helping them know that, believe that, instead of how many feet are in a mile? But we got to get creative with living these things out. The instruction. And the last phrase I want to show you 
is this phrase, of the Lord. Of the Lord. Now, this matters more than, than the rest of the stuff, more, more than anything else we say. Because uh, Pastor David, Paul David Tripp, he says it this way. He says, the most important thing in raising children is that they come to see Christ the Lord as supremely valuable as Savior and Lord and treasure of life. That, that is the most important thing. Look, if you instruct your child and they know everything there is to know about baseball, but they don't know about Jesus, you missed it. Teach your kids what matters for eternity. Not what matters for, for the next four years. Now, you should instruct them in those things, but, but this is our supreme calling as parents. Here's what I want to do. There's a book I want to recommend um, that this, this quote came from. It's uh, Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles for Parenting. This has been an incredible resource in my life. And you're like, man, 14? Yeah, 14 still not even enough. Like, he's probably going to have to come out with volume two. Um, this isn't the end-all, be-all in parenting, but it'll just help you. There's even a right-now media study to go along with this book. So we have them at the merch table. Uh, we would love for you to pick one up today. But here's what, what I want to just um, help you with for just a second. Because it could be easy to feel, to hear a message like this and say, man, throw a little pity party and say, I've blown it. I'm not doing any of these things well. And look, if that's the case, it's probably because you've been relying on yourself. You've been trying to do this. Uh, here's again what Paul Tripp says in his books is that so your hope as a parent is not found in your power, your wisdom, your character, your experience, or your success. But in this one thing alone, the presence of your Lord. Now that's comforting, ladies and gentlemen. Just like I was talking about in the beginning of the sermon, that, that I don't have a clue what I'm doing, like I'm figuring this thing out. But it's not about me and my wisdom and my power. It goes on to say, the creator, savior, almighty, sovereign King is with you. Let your heart rest. You are not in this parenting drama alone. Your potential is greater than the size of your weakness because the one who is without weakness is with you. And he does his best work through those who admit that they are weak, but in weakness still need his call. Amen. So this parenting journey, it is tough. It's scary at times, but we have the greatest helper in the world That's right. in the Holy Spirit. So stop trying to do it on your own. So here's my last encouragement. That you, you might be taking all this in. There's a lot of different stuff. Uh, here, here's just what I'm curious. If you're a parent, just think about what your next step is. Look, I... I if we're honest, if you're not doing any of these things, it's going to be impossible for this next week for you to start doing all of them. But how about we pick one? How about you like, uh, hey, that whole piece on forgiveness, I'm going to start doing that. Hopefully I don't do as many things I need to ask forgiveness for, but I'm going to make sure when I do, I'm going to live that out. Or maybe it's, I'm going to start teaching my children, instructing them in the things of the Lord. Pick one of them and live it out. And if you're not a parent in the room, 
find ways that you can start living these things out in your life. Right? The, the, all the provoking things are things that you can do with all your relationships. And it's just so important that we realize the whole goal in all this is not to, to raise good-mannered, productive citizens of society. The whole goal in all this is to raise people that love Jesus and fear him and be encouraged because God is with you in it and he wants to do it through you. We just got to let him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you are so good. Lord, we thank you that you've given us these clear instructions on how to just do this in a way that honors you. Lord, I pray for every parent in the room. Lord, I know that you see every parent in this room, every parent that's struggling with these things, every parent that is trying to figure these things out. Lord, I pray that you would empower them. Lord, I pray that they would feel your presence. Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen them to live these things out. And Lord, I pray that for those of those individuals in this room that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would see how much God cares about fathers loving their children and see how much God loves them. God loves you so much that he saw all the mistakes you made, he saw everything you've ever done, and he loved you so much he sent his son to cover all those things, to die for all your sins, all your mistakes. And all you have to do this morning is put your faith and trust in Jesus, and he will save you. If, I, if you didn't get anything else, if you're just uh, wanting a relationship with Jesus this morning, you can have that by just putting your faith and trust in him and just saying, Lord, I need you. I want you in my life. I want you to be Lord over all my life. Lord, I, I, I'm sorry for everything I've done. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, I'm trusting you as my Savior and Lord. And guys, if you do that, he's faithful to save you. Lord, I, I thank you that there's people across this room that are doing that this morning that are putting their faith, their hope, their trust in you. I thank you for other people in the room that are making other decisions for you today. Lord, bless those. I pray that we'd be encouraged. And Lord, we would just pursue you in everything that we do. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Would you give it up for everybody making decisions today? We'll have Pastor Mike come close us out.